Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. A lot of you have given me feedback on the little coach talk that I did the last couple of weeks of just trying to help you uh, be strong in the Lord as we go into this next year. And this sermon this morning hopefully will be a great coach's talk as well. Because in this part of Philippians, I've often considered this section as Paul's halftime coach talk to the Philippians. He's already given them this great model of humility, Jesus Christ crossing the infinite gap from heaven to earth, coming down not only to be a human, the incarnation, but also to suffer and die for our sins. And then he flips it and he says, so you and I should have the same mind that Christ has which is dramatic because most of us in most of the world thinks of Christians as we're just merely forgiven and we're biding time waiting to go to heaven. But Paul is pushing us into this great following of Jesus to be like him in how we live. And think of all your contacts, all your relationships, great and small. Think of the concentric circles that go out from your life if you and I began to live like Christ did for you and me, a servant, a servant, not just demanding my rights, not protecting my turf, my individuality, which is so much a part of us as Americans, but going beyond that, knowing who I am so that I'm comfortable serving you and not feeling like you're a threat to me but I can actually be a threat to you by loving you so much and serving you so much. So he gives us this great example. Then we come to this passage, and it's his coach's talk to you and I and say, come on, get in the game. Let's do this thing. Yesterday there was a game. I watched a couple of games as I was preparing my sermon. And... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, I, I kind of wait to the fourth quarter and, uh, and, and do the recaps and, and, and so forth. And I look for the teams that are in the top ten rating. And so there was this game between Michigan and Wisconsin. And if you're a Michigan person, you're very frustrated today uh, because things didn't go the way they predicted. And even though they're, I think, number 11 and number 13, the ratings will be different uh, because Wisconsin, who is 13, beat Michigan. And all the announcers, the commentators were just commenting at this. I don't know what the coach does here at halftime because uh, he's got to be very frustrated. He's got to be very, he can't point to the, the players and say, you're, you're blowing it. You're messing up. He can't do that. It'll discourage the whole team. He can't point to the coaches, defense and offensive, and say, you're messing up. Why aren't you? Because it'll demoralize them. So even though he knows what isn't and what should be, he can't do that. So what does the coach say? To try to bring the team back to play their game not responding to Wisconsin, but to play their game. And that's what Paul is asking us to do here. Play your game. And the motto, the name of this coach's talk would be shine like stars. I know it's a black, it's a dark, it's a difficult world out there in this moonless night, but this is your moment. 
And I kind of feel like that as Americans and as Christians right now. You know, I've watched this world for the last so many years. (laughs) And it doesn't seem to be getting brighter to me. It really doesn't. I don't know that I've seen it this dark. What comes around the corner? What's next? What are we going to do? And uh, I'm old enough to know that politics is not our only hope. (laughs) I heard that. Phew! (laughs) (laughs) So what do we do? Well, we cry out for God. We cry out for revival. But this is our moment, folks. To shine like stars. Let me read the passage to you and then we'll pray. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to act, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, speaking of potential martyrdom, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And then this man in prison writing to people outside of prison says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Come on. Let's rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture, this critical insight into how we can live, how we can be transformed and used of you. And God, we pray that we would not only learn it today in our minds, but you would sink it deep into our hearts and into our actions that we too might shine like stars in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to move quickly so that we can get all of the good stuff out of this, suck all the marrow out of the bone here and and get the good stuff. By the way, that was a quote from Henry David Thoreau, but that's for another day. So work out, Paul says, but he's saying for you and I to work it out both publicly and privately. I was a good student most of the time growing up, but whenever we had a substitute teacher, I kind of went the way of all students, and I would give the substitute teacher a very, very bad time. That we would organize plots to all drop our pencils at the same time. Uh, We would, uh, you know, purposely trip over trash cans as we walk into the room, and it it was all to just kind of make them go nuts. Uh, And then our regular teacher would come back the next day. Well, that's an example of how you and I can be Uh, when people of significance are around us, that we behave the way we ought to behave 
when those people are around. But when I'm not around those people or when I'm private, when I'm alone, who am I? It's an issue of character. It's the public character and it's the private character that Paul's talking initially about here where he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, because I might be martyred, I may not be coming back, how much more in my absence you need to work this out. And so it's an easy command for us to understand. We want to be the real deal, right? No matter how deep you cut into the wedding cake, it's a good cake, not just pretty frosting. So then he gives us this command, and this is the command that startled me as an 18-year-old, and it probably will still startle us today, where he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wow. Work out my salvation? I thought I was saved. What is he telling me? Am I, is he telling me to earn my salvation? It's a scare. And then he follows it with the words, with fear and trembling. As I explain this first, I don't think there's any place in Scripture that gives to us the power of the omnipotence of God to change your life and the cooperation of you and I with our free will, understanding our responsibility to respond to, to this omnipotent God. So first of all, what about this word work? The reason we don't like the word work is because it, it's like Maynard G. Krebs back in the 60s. There was this uh, sitcom that uh, kind of whatever we call them, those ongoing shows, where this beatnik, anytime he heard the word work, he would say, work. He was frightened by the thought of ever working. And sometimes we as Christians are frightened by the word work because we interpret it as earn, build credit before God so that you can somehow earn heaven. I saw a cartoon recently uh, where whoever it is, Peter or someone at the threshold of heaven is interrogating someone who's about or wanting to enter heaven and he says, uh, I'm sorry, sir, but your username doesn't match up with your password. <laughs> so we're all frightened by this. Could something happen where God doesn't know me, that I'm not in heaven? And I think that's to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. The Bible refers to salvation in the verb form, uh, the, the word is sozo, by the way, and it refers to it in past tense, present tense, and future tense, all three in the New Testament. We tend to bank on the past tense. That's the way we talk as moderners. I am saved. Are you saved? We're using the past tense. We, do you hear the ED on the word? But the New Testament also says, I am being saved, present tense. It's happening in my life right now. And it says that we will be saved, future tense. Those are words that we're not used to, we're not comfortable with, because we tend to interpret it as doubt. Am I saved? But a better way to think of it is to go back, I think, to the root word, 
uh, of Sotso and to understand that it, I think it's very similar to the Old Testament word shalom, which is not just peace, but it's referring to your whole well-being. How is your shalom would be a greeting in uh, Israel. So Sotso has the idea of well-being in every aspect of your life. And Jesus, the lifeguard, comes to save you as the person who's drowning. What we've done in modern times in, in the Western church is to reduce Sotso to only refer to forgiveness. You got it? And when we do that, we make a very thin Jesus. And we present a very thin Jesus to the world. Where on, only your soul being forgiven and getting into heaven is all that God cares about. And the more you think about it, you think, well, that's not true. He cares about my family. He cares about my marriage. He cares about my economic well-being. It's very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He cares about my body. I wish he cared more about my body now. Uh, he sometimes heals us, but we will all one day get a new body. And by the way, you've heard me say that I will be six foot seven in heaven and sing like Aretha Franklin. I know that seems a little weird, but um, it's going to be amazing. But right now, I'm me. So, but God comes with the pixie dust of heaven, the sozo of the Messiah to bring well-being. He can even bring well-being to nations when there's revival and the church begins to cry out to God and the church begins to be the church. The nation that the church is in can experience well-being. Now, it doesn't mean forgiveness necessarily for for that nation, but it, it, it's talking about the fingerprints that come with the Messiah, the blessing that comes with the Messiah. So coming back to Sotso in your life, when he says work out your Sotso, your salvation, he's talking about step into this new life that God has given you. You've got these new clothes on. And the old clothes, quite frankly, it just wasn't your color. It, 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 was, it was too tight on you. The style has changed. The fashion has changed. Step into the new clothes that God has given you. But our culture is telling us something different. You just got to be me, and that's who I am, and that's what my Enneagram says, and this is just who I am, and I'm going to live it out, and that's who I am, as opposed to discovering who you might be and become in Christ. So work, it, work out what God has worked in. And the word work, we have to face it. It, it, it does mean work. We get our word energy from this word, energeo. It means labor. It means effort. I emphasize this because for a long time, I've had the idea that it all had to be so God, so much the Holy Spirit, that I was just a leaf floating in the wind. And if someone preached to me this way, I would hear him and say, well, sounds pretty good, but 
I can't do it. It's got to be God. If God wants me to work, God's, God's got to do it because I can't do it. And I wouldn't give my will or effort to it rather than having a different view that, yeah, God is at work and I need to co-labor with him, not to earn anything, but because he is working. Why should grace make us think that we're passive? There's nothing about grace that connotates us becoming passive. The undeserved love of God should motivate us to become active. Are you with me? So you fall in love. You discover this great love that, that uh, this new person has for you and you have for them. And do you, what do you do? Do you go buy flowers for her? Or do you say, well, don't want it to be me. Want it to be her and her love for me. So, if God, if you want me to give her flowers, put flowers in my hand. <laughs> if you want me to go knock on her door, have me wake up and not how, know how I got to the door. So I know it's all you. No. As a lover, you become active. You work to show her your best and to hide your worst. <laughs> Just saying. Why wouldn't we respond to grace the same way? Come on, let's get it on. He loves you. He died for you. came from heaven to earth and died for you. This is your moment to now work it out and serve one another. So when I think of work out, I think of fruit. Bear the fruit. That's another word that Paul uses. Bear the fruit that God has given you to bear. Sailors think this way when it comes to sailing. Sailors understand they, they're not the wind. They cannot produce the wind, but they can hoist the sails. And they can sheet them in. They can let them out. They, they can cooperate with the wind. And is it their work? Yeah. It's their inner ghetto. I also like the fact that Paul uses the, the little personal pronoun that you probably didn't notice, your salvation. It's actually in there. It's in the original. That there's a uniqueness to the so-so that God is working in you. We all are forgiven by the grace of God, and we're, God's working in our lives. He's transforming us but there's a unique quality to what God is doing in your life and my life. Work whatever God has given you to do. You may be a mother and not the president of the United States. Being a mother is harder. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I think it is hard. So work out what God has given given you in terms of reflecting Christ to the people and do it and here's the two words that scare us do it with fear and trembling quivering is the word trembling why what he's wanting you to do is say hey come on team 
take it seriously. This is the most important thing of our lives. All the rest of the things in our lives are subsidiary to this calling on our lives. Take it seriously. This word fear and trembling, they, they occur as twins. You can't have one without the other. They go to get 12 times in the Old Testament. They occur together as synonyms. The only time it's used in the New Testament is Paul four times. And he uses it with the connotation of a servant serving a master. Your job is really, really serious. So do it seriously. Be who God has called you to be. Now, after we've studied that verse, 12, it, it begs the question, why and how? And Paul answers it by saying, because it's God. Verse 13, for it is God who works. And there's the same word again. We work because it's God who works. And he's working in you in two ways, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. For it's God who is the energizing one inside of you. The one who works, the working is God. So... The pipeline is there. The water's flowing. You're the valve. Open the valve. Let God work through you in all your relationships. Don't quench him. Let him out. This will and to act gives me great hope because it tells me that God is at work in your life and in my life, not just in the acting, that is what I do, but changing my will. Doesn't that give you hope? Let me give you the words of John Calvin here. He says, there are in any action two principal parts, the will and the effective power. Both of these Paul ascribes to God. What more remains to us to glory? We can't take the glory. It's God who's at work. So let me have you look at the screen for a moment. I took a moment yesterday between uh, football plays to uh, just kind of have a psychosis moment of what I was thinking and invite you into it. So in the circle, you have your will and the do is your actions, right? This is every single human being. Your will is what you want. You do what you want. Did you know? The wanting, the willing, the Old Testament calls it the heart, which can be wonderful or desperately wicked. It's the wanting part of me. And even if you don't get what you want, the reason you cooperated with those people and didn't get what you want is because you want them to like you. And that's wanting. So this wanting, this will, is always going. The doing is my action. Now, we used to think, are you still there? Yeah. I think this is exciting. Bear with me. 
what we used to think is that will and, and action was linear. So I just sit there and I want this, and then the action comes, and then I play it out, and it just happens and happens to people and just kind of goes out. Now we know through neuroscience that the plasticity of the brain is affected by every action. So when you act on your will, it loops around and affects your wanting again. So let's say you want Jamoke Almond Fudge. And you go down to the store and you buy Jamoka Almond Fudge. And you look for the, the most expensive and the creamiest. And you eat it. What just happened is now already affecting your brain. Saying, whoopee! Good decision. Oh my gosh! Let's do this again and again and again and again. And the next time you're discouraged and down, you say, you know what? It worked the last time. Let's get in the car and go get some Jamoke almond fudge. It's, it's actually, to, to use extremes, that's the way addictions happen. But it's not just that. It's everything we do. The action is, it's not linear. It's looping back and affecting me. And so I begin to be in a rut. People begin to know what I want and what I do, what I want and what I do. It becomes me. And we would like to think that most of what I want and do is amazing. Really. I mean, if you go up door to door and ask people, do you think that human beings are basically good? Yeah, they're amazing. Human beings are basically good. And you say, how about the history of wars in the world? I know. How about the history of selfishness among human beings? I know. How about Darwinian's view of uh, survival of the fittest? Yeah, I know. How about the fact that, and you just begin to, to name the atrocities uh, that go on of segregation, racism. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. We have, well, how do you explain that? Because we're basically good. What we want is basically good. What we do is basically good. And that's why I drew this zigzaggy line because there's a part of all of us that I also want what's bad. I want what's good, but I also want what's bad. St. Augustine, in his confessions, he uses the language, it seemed like I had two wills, the good will and the bad will. Paul talks about the new man, the old man and the new man. That which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me, Paul says. So there's this split in all of us. Are you with me? And that affects us. And that loops and affects us. Now, if that wasn't enough, it gets worse. Are you okay? <laughs> there's all these influencers in my life. Feelings I get. I, I just don't feel good. I just... It's okay if I don't feel good. I just don't feel good. I feel great. Or, uh, so, and then I develop, develop habits. And they're informing my will. Memories. Good memories, bad memories. They're informing me. My senses. Knee, I see. I need that dress. That wasn't a confession. <laughs> it's 
just trying to be gender sensitive here. <laughs> Care about what people think. My parents, my family, my friends. My thinking, my stinking thinking is always influencing me. And Pascal talks about culture, how culture is always influencing us. As a young teenager and struggling before I came to Christ, I wanted to not be so socialized by society. And I became helpless realizing there's nowhere you can go that you are not being socialized, formed by society. So it's really frustrating in this scenario. So now that you're completely frustrated, now let me tell you what Christ does. Boom. Next, there. <laughs> God, through the Holy Spirit, comes into your life both to will and to do. It doesn't mean that the old you doesn't still have influence in your life. You hear that voice, and Paul says, reckon it dead, just consider it dead when he speaks. It doesn't mean that all these influencers aren't also there, but we add some new influencers. The Holy Spirit is influencing your life. My disciplines of Bible, prayer, my discipline to go to church, my discipline to give myself uh, to others, all of these things also contribute to this new scenario that's going on. And to work out what God has worked in means, come on, guys. Don't be a leaf in the wind. Get with the program and cooperate with this great new thing that is happening in your life. By the way, this little part of the diagram came to me while I was driving from home to church this morning. And uh, the, the production team, I said, hey, new slide, use this one. And I'm glad that they found it. Um, but what I have found is that I need to manage the influencers. Most of us as Christians only think of managing my will and managing my actions. If that's all you're managing, it's too late, baby. You have to manage what's influencing you. Because none of us are strong enough to just push back the ocean. We have to decide what I'm going to allow into my life and not into my life. There are certain movies I will not watch. They're not good for me. I manage the influence. There are certain people. They're not good for me. I manage that. There's certain thinking, stinking thinking, that I manage. Because if, if I, and, and then proactively, I need to be in the Word. I need to be praying daily, talking to God. I need to ask the Holy Spirit. I'm managing the influencers because it's God. It's God. This is a big thing. This is God. It isn't just self-help. It isn't just the new therapeutic modality. To get, this is God. So if you said to me, what do I do? 
then I would say, I'm glad you asked. First thing I would do, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer yourselves, present yourself to God every day. You know the story of the loaves and the fish, the little boy that just had his lunch? And he asked the disciples, we got any loaves and fish here? He's thinking miracle. And they bring this little boy, and all he's got is a few loaves and fish. And, And Jesus says, hot dog, let's use it. And he multiplies it, feeds 5,000. He just needs your loaves and fish. You don't have to be amazing. He just needs you to offer your will, to offer your actions to him. Present yourself to him daily. Just say, here I am, God, broken me. Broken me who wants this and wants that, and I shouldn't want this, but I want it, and I, it, and I have all of these actions that I regret, and I ask you for, for, for your forgiveness again, but I want to do this. What do I do? Offer. Start there by offering yourself to God. And then after that, God, it says in the passage in Romans 12, He says, and don't conform to the world. Manage your influencers. Don't conform, but be transformed and prove what the will of God is because the goal is to ingest the will of God into my will. And you can do it. Our son John, who's quite a great adult, but a story I remember when he was young, I'm guessing four or five, uh, Jan came into his room, and, and being a creative genius, his room was a mess, and uh, Jan said, come on, John, it's time to clean your room. And John, being a pastor's kid, he bowed his head, said, Jesus, I pray that you would clean my room. (laughs) That's what we do with transformation. Jesus, do it. And then if it doesn't happen, we blame him. Well, I prayed. (laughs) Nothing happened. So Jan said, oh, look, John. God has answered your prayer. He's given you two hands. (laughs) Now clean your room. So the coach says in verse 14, Coach Paul, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Come on, guys, so that you may become pure and blameless children without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly, or the Greek can mean as you hold out the word of life. I like that better. As you hold out like a torch or or, or a uh, um, lighthouse. As you hold out the word of life, then you will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And he goes on to use Paul, I mean, uh, Timothy and uh, Epaphroditus as examples of 
people who shine like stars. And then he concludes inviting them into this joyful life. And the connection is in verse 16, he says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There's a connection between serving and loving and joy. It's the joyful life. And he says, tag your it, come on, rejoice with me. Enter into this life. Daniel says in 12.3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever and ever. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 5, let your light shine before men that they may see your goodness and praise your Father in heaven. So there it is, guys. Shine like stars. You're it. It's your turn. It's, it's your line on the stage and your context to now step into it and work out what God has worked in. There was a guy in the film that I want to draw your attention to. I can't tell you his story, the backstory of how he became saved. It's a pretty gnarly story. Uh, but you probably noticed him in the film. After he gets baptized, he starts jumping up and down like this and jumps into somebody's arms. Uh, the pastor, Pastor Hickmott, had no clue as to what he was saying. Didn't know what happened because he wasn't there when I taught this message, Shine Like Stars. But what he was saying as he was jumping down in the pool was, I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. <laughs> he got it, right? He got it. And that's what God calls you and I to become. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you would ever entrust who you are with us. That we, through our messaging and we, through our lives, would reflect the gospel. God, it's intimidating. It's even frightening to think that anyone would look at my life to see if I'm shining and reflecting you. But as we consider the weight of this passage and the huge responsibility that you've given us, as you hand us the torch, God, we receive the torch from your hand, declaring that we are unworthy, that we don't feel qualified. But because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit you have given us, we receive the torch. God, we want to be people that work out what you have worked in. To be the ones that are cooperating with you, the internal worker of our lives. And while we pray, we do pray for a complete spring cleaning of our will and our actions. Not only that you would forgive us 
of all of the things we've done and all of the things we should have done and didn't do, not only forgive us, God, but that you would more greatly empower us to follow you. And in the difficult moments where you call us to love someone that we have deemed to be unlovable, at least in this moment, they've hurt our pride, they've said or done something that has offended us, that God, we would rise up to the occasion to be like you and not just like us to love as you have loved us. God, in these critical dark days, let us be the ones that shine like stars, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.